All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Get Over It podcast. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Fasano, and this is episode eight, Just Try It. For those returning to the show, thank you so much for continuing along on this journey with us. And for those listening for the first time, welcome aboard and welcome to the Get Over It podcast, where we talk with people from all walks of life to find out how they got over obstacles in their life, in their business, so we can learn from them and learn to grow ourselves. Just a reminder, you can visit podcast.overit.com for all of our previous episodes and more information about myself, over it, and all of our guests. I also want to remind you that if you prefer to listen on your favorite pod player like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc., you can find this podcast there as well. And for those that prefer the video format to watch this in video, we do uh, record video with all of our guests and you can find that on our YouTube channel and all of these links to the YouTube channel to the pod players where these episodes are available can be found right there on podcast.overit.com. Now for episode eight, we speak with Hayeza Quinones Ivory and we talk to her about her life journey from growing up on the US Virgin Islands coming into the continental United States, and really her, talking to her, her, her story of her as what I call a hustler, someone who's involved in a lot of different things. You know, she has uh, what we call, like I like to say, like I do my day job, and then there's a lot of other things that she does to hustle, including starting her own uh, jewelry business. That what inspired me to call this episode, Just Try It, is that that business that she's going to talk to us about, she never thought she could ever you know, have a business like that. She enjoyed jewelry. She liked it. She was inspired by uh, her familial origins, a relationship with her grandma and her family. And she really enjoyed doing it, but never thought that she could actually turn it into a business. And it was her husband that really said to her, why don't you just try it? Um, and, you know, after a while of saying, I can, there's no way I can do that. She just did try it, and now you know it kind of took off, and she has a really great business doing something that she really loved and that has a cultural, inspirational tie to her. Um, but it was that personal get over it moment that she had to have where, you know, you're going to sit there. We all do this. We all have these things we like. We all have these ideas we want to try, but how many of us are willing to actually try it? This is like the life of an entrepreneur. Like if you have an idea, an idea is just an idea. You have to be able to put it into action. But there's a lot of reasons why we don't. We're scared. We're afraid. We don't have enough time. There's not enough resources. Whatever that may be, sometimes the best way to do something is to just try it. I say it in the context of podcasting all of the time for people who want to start a podcast, ask me about podcasts. They come to Over It or Over It Studios and say, I want to do this podcast, but I'm not really sure. The best thing you can do is just try it. You have a great idea, you sketch it, you put a lot of thought into it, and you just have to try it. It doesn't have to be perfect right away. And as I think you'll see on this podcast here, we have access to a lot of things. We have a professional studio, we have someone doing a lot of editing, we have a lot of expertise. And I think what you'll start to see over time is that our podcasts are going to get better and better. They're going to look better. They're going to appear better. We're going to change our appearance. And we're going to adjust and optimize as we go. Because at some point, you have to stop being perfect and you just have to try it. And so that is the inspiration for this episode, episode eight. Again, podcast.over.com. Give us a follow. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay, so our guest on the Get Over podcast today 
is a true hustler. I love talking to hustlers and entrepreneurs. It's one of my favorite, like, you know, uh, groups of individuals and humans to talk to because I find myself to be one of those. And to be a hustler and an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to grind. And if you're grinding, you're you're pushing. And if you're pushing, you have a story. And so like, we're gonna, we're gonna get into that with her today. And if you visit her site, which I'm gonna tell her to give you that a little bit, you're gonna find out that she's a lot of things. She's a writer, um, you know, a writer, a model, podcast host, the Good Up Podcast, wife, retired pageant queen, traveler, book lover, business owner. You, you, you get a sense for just the breadth of what she's, what she's about and what she loves, and you can really get a sense for that grind. Um, she was born and raised in St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands, currently resides, I believe, in Tucson, Arizona. I could be wrong with that, but she's going to check me as soon as I'm done with this. Um, in addition to her role as a program manager at a community foundation, she's also the owner of her own jewelry company, uh, Masha Company, and she's going to talk to us about her journey and at times in her life where she was over it and she sort of pushed through. Welcome to the show, Heyaza Quinones Ivory. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So fact checks, Tucson, Arizona, correct? Yes. Okay, yes. got I that am right. In the desert. <laughs> in the desert. Um, so you're currently in the desert. You're currently in Tucson. I want to start with before we get into your journey, let's talk about I say the current destination where you are right now. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do and what your passions are, and we'll just sort of take it from there. Cool beans. So currently my, my full-time job is as a program manager at the Community Foundation for Southern Arizona. Um, I like to say that I stumbled upon this job in this field of work by accident. Um, I have a background in communications and public relations. Um, I got my master's degree from Syracuse about two years ago. So my goal was always communications. Somehow I ended up in nonprofit work and that tends to be the story for everyone who works at a nonprofit. We just end up here, we fall in love with it and we stay um, certainly not for the pay, but mostly for the work and, and just how it makes you feel. Um, you know, at, at nighttime and, and early mornings and all times outside of my full-time job, I uh, run the Masha Company. It is a handmade jewelry store. Um, I love earrings. It's been an obsession of mine since I was younger. And I created the business, I think, out of needing something to do during the pandemic. Um, and it grew larger than, than I expected. And it's something I created in honor of my late grandmother and just really where my heart and, and soul is. And you wouldn't expect to hear someone say that about something as small as earrings, but it's really, I think, fulfilling. And so, of, so that's a new thing that's yeah. recently launched then. Yeah. So um, it will turn one in September. So, I mean, it's like you said, it's, it, could, it sounds like something small, but like you said, you did it in honor of your late grandma. So there's mm -hmm. meaning there. And so like, yeah. I want to talk about that. So let's go back. Um, you grew up, um, you know, St. Croix, you grew up on the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, it's a beautiful place. You grew up there. How long were you there? How long were you on the island? How long were you out there with your family? Born and raised. Um, I did not leave to come to what, well, it's the U.S. Virgin right. Islands. Continental. We refer, yeah, we yep. refer yep. to the United States sort of separately. Correct. Um, yeah, so didn't leave to go there until I was 18, um, my first year of, of undergrad. Uh, yeah, spent my pretty much my entire life in, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, very much a Caribbean upbringing, although it is a U.S. territory. Um, 
there's it's a, it's a u.s territory but it's not like it's not like growing up in the u.s continental yeah. u.s right i yeah, mean there's a lot more all. culture <laughs> and a lot more different like stuff than we got going on here right that's yeah, what i want to ask you like, what is what was it like there like what i am at was there was it a lot more cultural like did you have certain things like you know you've seen both you've lived here in what we're calling the continental u.s and there and did you did you feel like it was more enriching in a certain way or what, what about it did you did you really did you enjoy or did you not like about being being born and raised there oh i love i i loved being born and raised there uh life is a lot slower i will yep. say that um there are some things that you know we aren't afforded that i think being in the u.s i've been really grateful for just having more access to things um better access to certain technologies just more immediate access to be able to grow especially as a content creator um, but the Virgin Islands in terms of just the richness of the culture, the, the friendliness of the people, like that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child was very much my childhood. Like it's not such a small place that every single person knows every single person, but odds are that someone right. you meet on the street knows someone that you know. So it's very small town, um, carnival, just you name it. Um, but we we're a very tight knit community and we take our culture just very seriously. And I think that because I was raised there, I grew up with a mindset of everything that I do is not just for me. Like it represents where I come from. So if a Virgin Islander does something huge or, or something that's considered an accomplishment, like it's big news back right, home. So right. for example, Tim Duncan is from the Virgin yep. Islands and like we adore him, like everything that man does, <laughs> we're just super proud of. So for me, it's like, okay, if my business succeeds, then, you know, if, if this blows up, this is a representation, not just of- Right, like you're life. representing, you have yeah. like, there's, there's a, see, like, that's so interesting because I feel like we don't have that in this, in this, in the proper continental US, right? Like, it's like everybody, you know, does something, it's sort of a dime a dozen. We don't have that, like, I'm rep, you rep your, you know, people say I rep my zip code or mm -hmm. I rep my area code, you know, but yeah. you don't really have, it's a different, it's a very different, different game, um, especially like from what you're talking about. Talk to me about that island is a very tourist driven, like it has a lot of tourist driven economy, right? Yeah. What's that like? Did you see that? Were you around a lot of people? Were you, I'm not sure where you're from exactly. Did you mm -hmm. see a lot of people coming into your country and like tour? Like, I'm, I'm just wondering what that was like watching a lot of people coming in and out of your homeland. And what is that like? Um, so I have a love-hate relationship with, <laughs> with tourism, um, and I think most, most you know, territories or countries that you know, depend on tourism feel that way, and, and it's because sometimes you get people who come in and they really appreciate the culture and they really just genuinely want to enjoy it, um, but then you, you have people who kind of see going to the Caribbean as just this stereotypical tropical vacation. Right. And, they see the Caribbean as a monolith and not as hundreds of different island nations who have their own culture and are very different people. Um, so, and then too, because it's the U.S. Virgin Islands, I think that a lot of Americans have this mentality of this, you guys belong to us and this is our vacation spot. And they, you know, approach it in that way. Um, so I've always been an advocate for, for the Virgin Islands being a bit more autonomous and finding ways to um, survive economically without being so dependent on tourism. But at the same time, um, I recognize that, you know, people are going to travel and I would rather be the person who right. 
for example, I incorporate culture a lot into my content because I want people to learn about the Virgin Islands so that if they want to go there, it's to immerse themselves. In right. The it's culture. more of an experience rather yeah. than just like, yo, get a drink. And so I can just like drink and right. stay on the beach. Right. 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 Right, right, yeah. right. Because there's a lot more to it than just that. Oh, there's, yeah, there's, there's so much more to it. Definitely. So you've, I've heard, I've, we've used the word culture a lot and you've talked, you, you mentioned your, your grandma, your late grandma who inspired you to, to, to sort of, you know, with the, with your, with your company. Tell me about your family. Like how, what was your family life there? Were, you know, how close you were, you mentioned your grandma, were, were you all very close living around each other? What was that like? And tell me a little bit about how that shaped you going forward. Yeah, so my grandmother definitely uh, played a very large, you know, central role in, in my upbringing. Um, you know, again, the island is small, so she lived down the street from us. Um, there was never a time where I didn't have access to her. You know, if there, there was a sick day from school, that was whose house I was going to. When we came home after school, we waited at her house, you know, so my mom could get off work and come pick us up. So she uh, pretty much, you know, had that role in raising us as well. Um, and that's how it is for a lot of Virgin Islanders. The extended family is, is so close by that it's, it's not, and I think that's a big difference in what I've seen from US culture. A lot of times your grandparents might be in different states mm -hmm. and you go visit them for holidays or, or over the summer. For us, our aunts and uncles and grandparents are down the street and you mm -hmm. see them almost every day. Mm -hmm. So family is very important to me and it's, it, it's tied back to that mentality of everything I do represents my culture. It's also sort of everything I do is, is a direct reflection of my family. Um, I was the, the first person in my immediate family to get a graduate degree. I was the first one to um, go as far as I did in terms of leaving and going to undergrad in a state that was thousands of miles away from the Virgin Islands. So a lot of what pushed me was I need to be able to get this done so that I can right. you know, help take care of my family or, you know, be the person who's like a representative of the family. Right. Right. It's like a, it's a bigger purpose, right? You have yeah. a bigger, like something, there are people around you that you're doing this for. I mean, that's, yeah. so as an Italian, but I grew and growing up in the United States, like you're saying, I actually had a similar, you know, I grew up in an area where my aunts and uncles, all six of them, six pairs of aunts and uncles lived 10 minutes from where we were. My grandparents were all right there. I would be there every Sunday for dinner. I saw them. They were a, a, like they were a like a central part of my life. In fact, my grandma, she's turning ninety. She's still alive. She's turning ninety, and we're doing this thing where we're making a video for her. Every every one of her grandkids, she has twenty four of them, and all of their kids now. And we have to say a memory, like you know, like in the video. And like I can think back, like countless. If I think back on my childhood, I can tell you. There's so many memories I have of being in that basement or like in that mm -hmm. craziness of like family all around, like, you know, dinner, the smells. It's so, it's so visceral to me and it really does shape you. You know, it gives you this, this broader sense of that you're a part of something. And I, I, I could, I couldn't imagine what my life would have been like without that. And so it does really shape you and being around all these different opinions and ideas, because God knows they had a lot of them, you know, <laughs> around the dinner table. Um, it, and, and, and it got a little crazy every once in a while, people started yelling, but what it did was it gave, it exposed you to things. You saw things, you heard things. And I think that's what gave me some of my fire that I have. And so I guess I want to ask you, like, you know, you have that drive, you have that hustle in you. 
do you, is it come from this, from your family experience? Are there other people like that in your family or was it something born out of like, I need to change. I need to be the one. Like where do, where do you see where that fire came from? Um, I, there are people in my family who are like that in terms of just keeping busy, always working. My grandmother was definitely that person. Um, she was the woman who took care of all the grandkids, cut her own grass, like did her own yard work, you know, laundry, cooking, all that. I would see her do all of that in a day. And she was, you know, by that time in her early seventies. So she was that type of person who just never stopped going. Um, and I think for her, it was sort of born out of necessity because she had to leave school in the fourth grade to take care of the rest of her siblings. Like she had that very, you know, you're the oldest daughter, you have to take care of everybody else um, mentality. But I think for me, it came out in the hobbies that I got into versus me do, you know, doing work out of necessity. I was always interested in everything. And my parents were the type of parents who they didn't believe really in saying no, um, not necessarily no, as in I was spoiled, but not saying no to, I want to join band. Right. Okay. Like your aspirations or your yeah. things. Right. Yeah. So I want to join band. Okay, great. I want to do a pageant. Great. That's fine. For my, my mom, it was like, okay, you're going to find sponsors and a way to pay for that, but you can do it if you want to. Right. So she, she would challenge me to find a way to get it done. And I think because they instilled that, like, you can do anything you want to do, but you have to put the work in for it. I, it just grew into more and more and more things. And the more access that I had, especially when I left the Virgin Islands and went to the U.S., there was so much more access. Like there was a Walmart and I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so, having that type of access to new things, I think it just made me, you know, work even harder because because I was never told no, it was like, I want all these things and I know that I can have them and I know that I can do it. I just have to work for it. I think, but I think that's the most critical part. And like, as a parent for myself, this is something that I try to do with my kid because of the world nowadays with parenting and kids, it's just very, very different. And that mm -hmm. like with my parents, like it was always, like you said, sure, you could do that, but you better figure out how you're going to make that work. You know, it was never, you know, like, I transferred colleges and I remember having to call and talk to them about it. And the answer wasn't no. The answer was, sure, you can do that, but are your credits going to transfer? Like, what about your financial aid and scholarships? You got to figure all that out. If that all works yeah. out, we don't really care what, go ahead. But there was, and you know, it was, um, how'd you do on your test? Oh, I got a 94. Okay, that's great. But why, what happened with the six points? You know, and you look at that and you're like, that's aggressive. But it was always it was always this sort of yes, but you know, you mm -hmm. got to, and like that makes you feel like when you do get there, you can accomplish it because you figured it out. You said you wanted to do something right. And you had to take the steps necessary to actually get there. And that matters in this world today where it's like, you know, you have to be able and willing to put the work in um, to, to sort of get there. And I feel like that could go away. A lot of people, a lot of parents are just like, yeah, we'll help you. We'll take care of it. And that doesn't put that drive into you. It sounds like you you had that, you had that encouragement, but you also had that rash realistic part where like, you got to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they were super supportive. And I think a part of it on top of just them being supportive, a part of it was just, they didn't have the time necessarily to dedicate to doing it all for me. 
Um, so both my parents were law enforcement officers. My dad worked at the, the local prison. My mom worked at the Supreme Court. So they had these really, really busy jobs. And for them, it was like, great, you can do all these things, but make it work because not only, you know, can we probably not afford this, but we're not going to be able to stop work to dedicate the time to like helping you get there. So, you know, it, 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 it gave me this sense of um, independence that I think I took with me throughout undergrad um, because I was that far away. So they weren't there and they had also not gone to college. So a lot of things I had to learn for myself. So financial aid, which I knew nothing about, I had to learn about that. And I had to transfer schools at one point and I kind of had to do that on my own too, because as much as they wanted to help, their access was limited and their knowledge on that stuff was limited too. I want to, I want to talk to you about this, the pageant. I won't be just because I've never talked to anybody. I've never spoken to anyone that's done it. So I want to understand, first of all, where did that come about? And what was it like? Like, so tell me about that. Was it back when you were on the island? Like where, when was that? Uh, So that was, that was born pretty early. So the funny thing that not many people know about Caribbean culture is that pageants are huge. Really? In the Caribbean. It's such a huge thing. Um, In the Virgin Islands, pageants are, it's an event. Um, People will go out to support their person. And it gets pretty weird. It's like, it's like they got like, yeah, I'm going with this person. Like they're Yeah, (laughs) they'll, they'll wear shirts and make signs and everything. Like pageants are, I would consider it a sport in the Virgin Islands. Like they take it very seriously. So there's all these school pageants. Um, so you essentially become the representative of your elementary school or high school. There's different community pageants and then there's sort of more regional. So you can be Miss St. Croix or Carnival Queen or Miss U.S. Virgin Islands. So there were all these tiers of pageantry and I started pretty early in elementary school. I did uh, some in high school. Um, and just, I, I did it because it was fun and a big thing in pageants back home is sort of that talent segment. And I, I used to sing, so I loved getting on stage and performing. Um, but also, I think pageantry, I feel a bit differently about it now, but back then, um, it was a great way to make, fr- make friends. Um, it was just a great way to put yourself out there and build your confidence. Um, yep. I think that my comfort with public speaking and, and just kind of being present online and on camera has a direct link to how much pageants um, I was a part of. And going into undergrad, I participated in a pageant again, and that ended up being the pageant that I think really put me on the platform that I'm on now, um, because that was the biggest one I'd ever done. And as a result of me winning that pageant, people started, you know, learning who I was and following me. And I was at the school with like 10,000 students. So they were all like, okay, well, who's Miss Purview? So they would follow me. And so what was this pageant? What was this one? Uh, so the, the last one I did was Miss Prairie View A&M University, which is the undergrad school that I went to. Okay. Uh, so that pageant essentially makes you one of the four top student leaders at the school. So there'd be like the student government president, vice president, Miss Prairie View, and then Mr. Prairie View. So you're the ambassadors for the university. Um, you Literally, they'll put you on a billboard. You're in a lot of the, the advertising, the marketing. So it's like an ambassador almost like a, for, yeah, you're like, the, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's 
a huge thing, especially in, in HBCU culture. Um, a lot of historically black colleges have a, a miss um, sort of pageant position and it's a big thing. So I got to undergrad and two years in, I decided I wanted to go for it. And going for that put me on that platform of just like knowing so many more people than I'd ever known in my life, especially being from the Virgin Islands. Um, and I think it, it made me better at marketing myself and, and creating content and all that stuff because a lot of my platform ended up being like virtual and doing a lot of events mm -hmm. online. Um, so yeah, that, that's a big part of, I think, who I am now mm. is doing that. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like a, it's like any, it's like a performance, right? You're getting up, you're doing something in front of people. Um, you said though, now you think it's your, your, your sort of changed your, your view of pageants or pageantry. Yeah. Why? I'm curious. What is it about it that is, that has changed for you? Is it something in you that you see different or is it something in it that has changed? I think both. So after that undergrad pageant, I ended up working as a PR director for another um, pageant franchise. So this franchise was directly linked to the Miss Universe pageant. And I don't know how much you've seen or, or heard about that, but that's essentially the biggest pageant yeah. in the world. Yeah. So they have franchises in different countries that send their representatives to the big pageant. And I worked for the U.S. Virgin Islands franchise. And um, it, <laughs> it, it didn't end well, um, <laughs> in terms of my work with them. And I think what ended up happening is I began to see the side of pageantry, um, especially international pageantry that can be very, um, misogynistic. Mm -hmm. It can be very, uh, racist, um, very sexist. Um, just, there were a lot of negative things that I think in being a part participant I didn't see but then in going to the other mm. side and being on the staff side of it um, I saw it and I didn't like it and I think that pageantry just has a lot of work to do in terms of unlearning <laughs> that you know our pageant winners have to be very blonde and blue-eyed right. and, and right. skinny and yeah is that still a thing? Is that still like, in your opinion, is that still, I mean, I don't follow it, but I, when I think of pageantry, like as a U.S. kid and pageants, I think of that, like what you're saying, like a very sort of stereotypical look, but I mean, I don't follow it anymore. I would imagine it might've adapted. Is it still sort of have that mold a bit? Um, I think there, there are people breaking the molds. Um, so the last Miss Universe was a black woman from South Africa and she was, you know, really amazing. And, We've, we've had sort of different types of girls break through that mold and, and win these national titles. Um, but for the most part, a lot of the systems are still looking for that stereotypical representative. Um, a part of it is the people who run the pageants. A part of it mm. is the fans. Yep. So when I was, you know, a PR director, one of my jobs was running social media and a lot of the racist, you know, mm. comments and comments on, our representative's body that I would see and have to delete would come from pageant fans, especially in, in other countries. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things that's systemic. So it's, it's not right. something that can be Right. You can't just undone. be like, we got to yeah. fix that. Right. i still, it still blows my mind. Um, what people will say, um, you know, on social, et cetera, like I'm not on Twitter for that reason. Um, but it, it, it's crazy to me. You know, I, I think it's crazy that people still think those, those things and have those sort of like really gross, 
racist ideas, but the fact that people say them out loud in total, like, no problem. Like it's sunny out today, you know, like it's like they say it like that, like it's that yeah. matter of fact. And I, you know, I, I just, you know, it, for, for, for a woman of color, you must know it, you must see it, you know, more than me, but like, it's still wild to me how, how that, you know, where we are and what, what is said and to how, how social has given people license mm-hmm. to do such things, which would make it difficult to do certain things like pageantry because you're so susceptible now and open to the critique. And it's a different, that's not even like a critique, right? That's yeah. just like aggressive behavior. I have to imagine yeah. that also makes this thing difficult. Yeah, it definitely did. I think, you know, for, for the, the person I worked with at the time who was our Miss Universe and I had to work with her closely to kind of market her in a, a, a good way on our pages and all that stuff. But it took a toll on her, um, especially because a lot of times people are so protected behind a computer screen that they think that what they post online is harmless and that it, it won't, um, you know, hurt the person who's on the receiving end of it. Um, and for her, it, it was painful to deal with and to see all of the comments. Um, and, you know, she would be posted as one of the contestants on the larger Miss Universe page, which has millions of followers. And the same things would happen. And mm. I don't think that that larger platform did enough to protect the people who were receiving that mm-hmm. type of sort mm-hmm. of hatred online. So mm-hmm. it definitely changed how I viewed pageantry in terms of just not enough is being done to correct the the harmful side of it. Um, but I still think pageants can can definitely be a, a, a way to network yourself, to put yourself on a larger platform, to ironically gain confidence. Right, right. Performing like that does help build your confidence. But yeah, it's, it's a very complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it is. Especially nowadays with people having the ability to just say what they want about you yeah. in any possible way. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your, the, the jewelry business. You know, one of the things that I love to talk to people about is what, what they did to take that step and to actually launch a business or to take an idea or something that was a passion and say, you know what? I'm going to do this because, you know, there's idea people and then there's people that put ideas into action and the ideas into action people are not as many as the ideas. Like I, anybody, a lot of people have great ideas, but it's taking an idea and making it work and turning it into something that is a business or something that takes that idea to the next level. So mm-hmm. talk to me about that. And, you know, did you just, what was that moment? What were those moments where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this. Um, given everything you're doing, your job that you have, talk to me a little about that and what was the decision there and how you got into it. Yeah. So funnily enough, the the store started off as a thrift store and not as a jewelry uh, company. So this was last summer, middle of the pandemic. I'm stuck at home a lot. I'm working remotely. Um, and I realized, and this is born out of me being an influencer and and doing a lot of brand deals through Instagram. Um, I was working with these companies who were sending me clothing in exchange for content. And my closet sort of started getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And I was using and wearing the clothes, but not, not fast enough to where I felt like I wasn't wasting the clothes that they were sending me. So I was like, well, how can I find a way to, um, get rid of this clothing without turning this into, you know, something that I'm making loads of money off of because I received it for free. 
So I thought of, you know, creating an online thrift store where people would come, they could mail me clothes or drop off clothes and I would, you know, refurbish it or, or whatever and put it online and sell it. Um, so in the beginning, it was a great idea. A lot of people, you know, bought into it. They were really interested. Um, and I think within two or three months of me doing the, the thrift store, um, one, it started to grow a lot faster than I had the capacity to operate it. So get sifting through boxes and boxes of clothing and getting it listed online and all that stuff while working a full-time job just became really hard. Um, but then also I wanted to make sure that if I was spending that much time doing something, that at least there was some type of profit to it. And one day I sat down and I looked at it and I realized that the amount of money and time that I was spending, you know, building the store and putting the clothes up and doing all this and mailing everything out wasn't being returned to me. Um, so it, it, and it funny, funnily enough, I was creating earrings for fun while operating the thrift store. <laughs> the earring part was just a hobby because I love earrings. Right. Um, anybody who knows me knows that I, I'm wearing a different pair every day. They're huge. They're like eccentric and just weird and different. So my husband came to me one day and he was like, well, why don't you just make earrings? And I, I looked at him like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What are you talking about? I just, I, I was like, why would I sell earrings? It just, it but why though? Why, why do you think you shot that down? Cause there was just, you've never heard of that before. Like, what was it? It was just like, that's not, not that's stupid. That's, it was just like <laughs> this bit, like this innate feeling like, nah, that ain't going to work. I think because I saw it as a hobby and I wasn't as good at I think that's the part there. I wasn't as good at, as, at making earrings as I was at everything else at first. Okay. So other things came easily to me. So content creation comes very easy to me. You know, I'm the person who her parents gave her a book in third grade and she like sped through it. Like I've just been very good at doing things. Yep. So when I was creating earrings, they were cute, but they weren't, I was like, I would never sell these. These are not great. Um, and you know, he, he put the idea in my head. So I transitioned out of the thrift store, um, got everything else sold, kind of cleaned up and then sat there and thought about it for a while and decided that I would just practice on earrings and get better and try to do different things. Um, and one day I decided to list uh, some earrings that I had just been practicing on or just post them on my Instagram. And I said, hey, practice on these earrings. They're not great, but if you want to buy them for like $5, just let me know. And it was only two pairs of earrings and I got like 15 direct messages. Like, I want to buy these. And I was like, huh. You're like okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the, the, the light bulb went off because I, I realized that I doubted myself before I even put a feeler out there of what other people would think about the earrings and, and whether they would like them. So the interest just started building and I decided, okay, I'll try this and created a, a few different styles and, I, you know, it started growing pretty quickly. People were just super interested. Um, I think when I really got confident enough, enough to say, this is the direction I'm going in is when everything was just constantly selling out. And I was like burnt out because I was trying to create faster than right. it was selling out. Um, and I, I realized like, okay, this is, I can do this. Like, this is something I can do. And So you had, you had that sort of, 
I'm not, I can't do this. I like, I'm not going to be able, this isn't going to work. And like, there's no way I can actually make this work. And your, your toe in the water was, well, let me just see, right? Mm -hmm. Let me just, let me just put something out there and see what happens. And then sure enough, it, it worked and took you there. I think that's like always like a really good lesson for people is that like, like I always say like podcasting, when I talk to people about it, I'm like, don't go into podcasting expecting to make money. Go into podcasting because you have a really, you have something to offer and you feel like you can talk to people about a topic and then money comes from that. But you can't, you can't get to the one without starting something, you know? And, you know, it's always like, well, it's not perfect. I don't have the right lighting and I don't have this. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just do it. Just try it. Just get on a microphone, get something going. And then, you know, start with 20 people listening. And then you go from there and you have to be able to get over it and move forward. Because if you don't, it's just going to be in your head. And then you're going to think back and be like, oh man, you know, or like someone's going to come out with a show that's like yours. You're like, I had that idea. Or like someone would have had earrings similar to yours. And we're like, yo, I could have done that same thing. But I think that's always got to be the lesson, right? Like if you really feel passionate about something, just try it. Just, it mm-hmm. doesn't hurt you to get out there. I mean, I mean, it'll take you time, but like, that's, that's, that's what it is. Now, where are you at with that now? So how do you keep up? Like, do you have other people helping you? Like, what is, what is the structure of that business? Like, is it just you making, making earrings? Uh, so I do make the majority of them. Yeah. Um, I've had friends come in and uh, you know, I, they've been kidnapped for a weekend and like had to sit in, in my, you know, we have a little loft upstairs in the house where I work out of and they've sat there and, and made earrings with me. Um, but for the most part, it's me. I wake up early in the morning. Um, and I, the majority of the earrings that I make are using resin. Um, so resin is a process that takes about 24 hours to sort of bring molds and cure and all that stuff. So I'll wake up early in the morning before work. Um, I'll design the earrings, pour the resin, get ready for work, leave, come back. Um, there, there will be another set of earrings that I worked on the day before. Then I'll start sanding those and putting those together. Um, so it is, it's definitely sort of having a second, a second job um, on weekends. That's what I'm doing. But I think what, what really pushes me to, work as hard as I do on them is that it doesn't feel like work. Um, like I, I, I legitimately just enjoy sitting there and and making the earrings. Um, it's the first time I think in my life that I've done something by hand. Um, Mm -hmm. I always told myself like, well, I can't draw. I'm not artistic. I can't paint. I can't do this. All of my talent was either music, um, because I, I was in band, so I play clarinet. Um, pageants or digital so a big part of it has been content creation so in doing this it allows me to kind of you know practice meditation in in a way because your brain focuses in on this thing that you're doing with your hands right um so i think i really enjoy it because it unlike everything else that i do this is the one thing that lets me slow down and just focus on this one thing um so yeah i i balance it with a lot of other things but it's, it's, it's almost serves as a balance for you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, and I also, I have to imagine too, like to bring full circle, like bring back to the Island and to your family, like it connects you there too. Right. Like mm-hmm. I imagine it's it, it, like you said, it, it, you draw inspiration from that 
and it's part of your culture. And so like that brings you full circle and keeps you still connected to what you don't have really maybe near you now. So that's really, yeah. really nice. I imagine that's, that serves as a, a nice purpose for you to keep going with it. Right. Yeah. And, and people give their input to, um, especially people from back home because they're, they're so invested in it. Um, I've had my fifth grade art teacher who's friends with me on Facebook. She's messaged me and said, you know, send me your mailing address. I have this idea for your earrings and I want to send you some material. Um, and you know, there, there was a time she sent me, um, like turquoise, just like chips, like broken up turquoise gems. And she was like, I think you should put these in your earrings. And at the time I was like, okay, great. Sure. Awesome. But yeah, but I tried it because if anything, I wanted to be able to create a pair of earrings for her and send it to her because I was, you know, grateful for, for her giving me that idea. And those ended up being some of the most popular earrings in the store and they sold out super quickly. So people, you know, they'll message me and be like, have you tried this color? Or like, I I saw this style and I thought of you and they'll just send me ideas. And it's always people from back home. Um, And I think because one, there's that familiarity of like community and like, okay, we grew up together. So I feel comfortable sharing this idea with you. But also there's the this person has a great business and I really want them to succeed at it because they're from the Virgin Islands. So it's definitely ingrained into the business. It's very much ingrained. So it's the MashaCompany.com, right? That's the, yeah. that's where you can go. And tell me, Masha, what is the significance? So my grandmother, um, that's what she called me. At least I thought it was just me growing up. Um, and it, we never knew what it meant. It was just like a pet name. Um, and then at her funeral, <laughs> We, I said something about just like the pet name that she called me. I was like, I'm going to miss her calling me that. And then my sister was like, she called me that too. They call me that too. (laughs) So my sister was like, she called me that too. And then my older sister was like, me too. And then our cousin, which, you know, a a female cousin of ours was like, she called me Masha too. And we were just like. So that was her thing. (laughs) So even more, even more as a way to like memorialize her is by using something that you know, a name that you guys maybe don't even really yeah. know, but she so, clearly had a thing to say, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So she, she gave us that sort of connection. Yeah. And I think, you know, that obviously that was a very sad day, but it allowed us to kind of laugh and realize that we had that connection with each other. Um, and when I started the store, I looked up the word just to see if it was like trademarked or if it was a big brand somewhere else. And I came to find out that the, the name Masha is a nickname for Maria in Russian. My hmm. middle name is Maria. My two sisters both have the same middle name, which is Marie. And then our cousin has a middle name, which is Maria. So I don't know. that You don't know if that's knew. really what it was. But yeah, but, but that's a just, crazy coincidence, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. So it just ended up being that that way that she connected us even after she was gone and you know, my way of honoring her and her legacy and her life was to name the store after her, but also make sure that everything that I do in terms of the store, so just like my work ethic and how I treat the people that I work with and saying thank you to people who help me, like, that's just my way of being like her and kind of emulating her in that. Hell yeah, that's what's up. I love that. Um, I, we're, we're about time to, to finish, but before I do, I always like to... Um, sort of humanize, you know, the guests in a way, you know, we always talk about, you know, we're talking about all of the things that you're doing and your hustle and these great things, but I imagine it comes, um, not without struggle. I imagine like any other human, you must 
hit, you know, I, I think I read somewhere maybe in your post that you'd like to try to meditate. You, you, you talked about, um, you know, making those earrings as a pot, as a way sort of to connect and to sort of, so I just want you to talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, like as a human who, who struggles, like what are some things that, that you struggle with? Do you have, you know, and some ways that you work on it to overcome and get over it really? Yeah. So I, uh, I, I deal with anxiety a lot. Um, that's something that I learned through, through therapy, which I would recommend for everyone who's ever thought about it. I think therapy is absolutely beneficial. Um, Same. I feel like it should be just as required as an annual right. physical, but that's just, that's just me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think that if you have to go to the doctor to check in on your physical health, you right. absolutely should have to check in on your mental and it should be accessible and affordable. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I, I deal with a lot of anxiety. Um, I, I deal with imposter syndrome sometimes. So as much as I think that I can be good at things, there's that level of self-doubt that comes in, um, where I'm like, okay, well, this isn't selling as fast. So did I do a good job on this? Or, you know, I got great sales this month, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to get great, great sales next month. Um, so there's that that negative inner voice that comes in that I have to deal with a lot. Um, and before I think that I let the negative inner voice um, a lot of times in my life have more power than it should have. Um, and it it forced me to do things like procrastinate and to just really doubt myself and to give up on things. Um, but in going to therapy and I think in practicing meditation and grounding, um, I really learned how to have power over that, that negative inner voice. So I think a lot of people sometimes feel that just because they have a negative thought about themselves, that it's accurate and that it's true. Um, and we don't practice the habit of stopping ourselves and saying like, okay, well, what's making me think that? Like, what evidence do I have to prove that my store is going to fail? Like what, what is happening right now? That's making me believe that this thing is true. Um, so it's things as simple as that, as asking yourself that question, like, okay, I think I'm bad at this, but who's, who's told me that I'm bad at right. this or what happened to prove that? Right. Um, and sometimes by telling yourself like, okay, well, nothing's happening right now that, that proves that this is true. So I'm just going to ignore that. I'm just going to keep working. Um, that definitely helps me a lot. I think, you know, it's, it's a lot easier said than done, but uh, mm-hmm. one of the things about mental health and these sort of defeating uh, thoughts and these anxieties and these feelings is that most of it all is controlled by us. We create these thoughts and feelings and all they are, are made up thoughts. And it's as simple in theory as thinking the same way you think there's no way I'm going to make this happen. There's no way that this store is going to, is going to be a success. The same, you could just as easily say the opposite. Mm -hmm. And for some reason we focus on always the other way. And if we, like you said, like empowering yourself to learn how to overcome that, if you can do that and you never, it's never perfect because it's always a struggle, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just, I always say it's like a treadmill. You, you, you know, you're walking, you go back, you're walking, you go back. But if you can focus on some of those techniques and try to incorporate them, then you can get over it. And it, it might be temporary and you're going to fall back, but you're going to have that toolbox and you're going to be able to keep, keep pushing. And I think it's really, really important because once you get so far buried in the negative, it's really hard to pull yourself out. You know, it's really, really difficult. And I think that that's a really important lesson for everybody is like 
and learn to control those thoughts and get power over them because you're, you're really giving power to the negative. So take it away and empower the positive, right? So I think that's, that's, that's really great. Um, uh, can you give, let's see, do we give the information? So if people want to check out more information about yourself, maybe your content, like your podcast and stuff, where can they go? Uh, so they can find me on Instagram at J Quinn Ivory. So J Q U I N I V O R Y. Um, my website is jquinnivory.com. So that links to everything else that I'm involved in, including the store, which is the Masha company.com. Um, I'm, I'm always online. I think anybody who, <laughs> wants to ask questions or, or, you know, get connected with me has pretty easy access. So that's where you'll find me. Hell yeah. Well, she is Hayaza Quinones Ivory. I am Chris Fasano and this is the Get Over It podcast where people come together from all walks of life to discuss the various ways we stop getting through it and start getting over it. Thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your day and talking with us. We really appreciate it. <laughs>